1: Pharmacy benefit managers, better known as PBMs, are responsible for negotiating payment rates for a large share of prescription drugs distributed in the United States. Recently, state Medicaid systems, policymakers, and national pharmacy associations have expressed concern that certain PBMs business practices may not be consistent with public policy goals to improve the value of pharmaceutical spending. This podcast series is all about PBM reform. Listen to the discussions, share these podcasts, and help build a new pharmacy payer system which supports our independent community pharmacies, encourages fair and transparent competition in the marketplace, and most importantly, is designed to deliver the best patient care.
2: The PBM Reform podcast series has been part of the Pharmacy Podcast Network, and it's gathered a lot of insights for the education for our pharmacy communities, our pharmacy profession. We really pride ourselves finding people throughout the nation in our pharmacy profession to bring additional insights to the subject of how PBM reform is going to impact our patient care, how it's going to impact community pharmacies, specialty pharmacies, really just about any pharmacy. I just returned from the Pharmacists United for Truth and Transparency conference. It was their annual summit. And we got to hear from a lot of different policy developers in several states. And it's, It's really good to welcome uh, two different guests who have insights in the uh, space of our pharmacy profession, but also pharmacy ownership. Mel Brodsky, welcome back to the Pharmacy Podcast Nation. How are you? Thank you.
3: It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you.
2: I also want to introduce and welcome Dr. Marion Mass. Uh, Dr. Mass, thank you so much for being part of this conversation. It's
0: my pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me.
2: So after a long career as a community pharmacy owner, Mel has served as CEO of the Keystone Purchasing Alliance. And from 97 through 2017, he continues to advocate for the profession of pharmacy and locally owned pharmacies throughout the, throughout the nation. He's the executive director of the Philadelphia Association of Retail Druggists and, um, Mel has been honored by Temple University School of Pharmacy as their 2021 Sprouse Lecture Award winner. And really want to um, uh, thank Mel for, for being part of this uh, PBM Reform podcast series. And just give us an overview, Mel, of, of how you're feeling this day and age of, of community pharmacy.
3: Well, Todd, I've been doing this now for over 50 years, and it's frustrating, aggravating, and Sometimes a good thing. Once in a while, we get some legislation passed, and you know, I see all over the country that many, many states are beginning to look up to see how much the PBMs and, in many cases, their insurance companies that they either own or own by are stealing and increasing healthcare costs. So we're getting there one step at a time. It's an educational process, but you know, we're working together with organizations like the Practicing Pharmacists Association and practicing physicians association. I'm sorry. And uh, you know, it's, it's getting there. I I see the light at the end of the tunnel.
2: Dr. Mass, you're a pediatrician in uh, Chalfont, Pennsylvania, and you're affiliated with children's hospital of Philadelphia and you really have a vested interest for your patients and for the people that you serve, the people that you care about um, to to push for reform and to even the playing field of of how this all plays uh, into health care and, and just the generalization of of what that means for patient care. So I want to have your opening uh, comments and an interest in this in this theme.
0: Sure. And uh, let me add, I do, I am an employee of Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, but I do not speak for them. And I, I always have to qualify that. We're a big tent here at Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. You know, it's very interesting as physicians, we talk about this all the time amongst ourselves. Um, 20, 30 years ago, we were able to advocate for our patients the way we saw medically fit, you know, the way that we were trained And now we're not the only ones in the exam room with our patients. There's sort of a cadre of people that, even though they may not be present in the room, uh, are making the decisions for our patients, uh, such as the pharmacy benefit managers. I may want a patient to have a certain medication, but I don't necessarily have the right to get them that medication based on what um, business people are deciding. And you know, for a long time, many physicians kind of felt confused, like you know, what's happening to us here? Like levels were being pulled, more and more was added to our plates on things that we had to do to make sure our patients got treated the way we saw fit. And over time, I think we're starting to expose some of those things. Um, you know, three years ago, someone introduced me to the pharmacy benefit managers, and I thought my head was going to explode. You know, <laughs> look at these people. They're a bunch of suits that are sucking money out of the system. I mean. You, you could call them robber barons. You could call them parasites. You could call them parasitic robber barons. And once you discover what they're up to doing, you can't look away. And I've, over the last three years, written a lot of articles, done a lot of podcasts, and physicians are absolutely shocked when they find out about this. And then they start to advocate too. They start to write. And I honestly think now, tens of thousands of physicians know about this and a lot of patients know about this too. And until we take medicine back, to the people who are trained being able to help the patient who's in need instead of a bunch of corporate fat cats running the system, then the patients are going to continue to suffer both in the pocketbook and potentially with their
2: own health. Absolutely. And I'm glad to hear that coming from a physician and someone who is on that side of of medicine and you're the quarterback's uh, passing the ball of care and treatment to the pharmacist, and it's disrupted by someone who has nothing to do with the uh, with the patient care. It's just a, it's an administration, um, and you're on the wrong formulary. So, you know, we're going to change things based on what's in the best interest of the PBM from a from a financial perspective, instead of what's in the best interest of the patient based on the command and based on the the subject matter expertise and the evidence-based decisions that you've made as a doctor and now mel and his um his team his his uh his members of his of his group these community pharmacies are handcuffed um mel from your experience tell us how you think the current system has has impacted patient care based on the community pharmacies that that you've worked with throughout the years
3: well, there's no doubt that the PBMs have interrupted the patient-prescriber interface. And, you know, it, the decision on what drugs a patient could take is not decided by the prescriber any longer. It's decided by how many re, how much rebates a PBM is getting from a specific manufacturer. And the most frustrating part is that, you know, when you talk to people that aren't in the profession and you mention the word PBM. They have no idea what they're, what you're talking about. They know they have a prescription card, believe their insurance company sent to them. And all they do is go to the pharmacy and for their five or 10 or $15 copay, they get the drugs that they need. And that's the extent of it. When I go into a legislator, you know, and I mentioned the word PBM, they are also glassy eyed and have no idea what a PBM does. And that's What I do for the next five or 10 minutes is I go through a whole spiel of what a PBM is and what they are doing to uh, increase healthcare costs in the United States.
2: Dr. Mass, over the time that you've been practicing, paint us a contrast. Um, Our listeners that are out there, probably majority of them are of course our pharmacists, but paint us a contrast of what things were like you know, when you started and even five years in and in comparison to the way that things are done today?
0: Well, I mean, the the biggest thirty thousand foot view uh, phrase that I could make right now is patients are paying more and getting less. And so someone must be sucking the money out of the system. And you know, not that um well, I guess physicians were notoriously control freaks, right? But I, 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 when I started in medicine and med school began in nineteen ninety. You know, by the time I was able to write prescriptions, we would write a prescription. The patient was able to get the prescription, and the prescription didn't cost too much money. Nowadays, I could write for a medication that I think is the most needed one based on the patient's history, based on the patient's physical, based on um, you know, the patient's current history, and that patient may have to be paying $300 for a medication that should cost 5 because of the intermediaries in the system. And, you know, that's that's ridiculous. So then we're put into a position where then we have to go back and take extra time because the patient who's running out of money because they're paying more for premiums, they're paying more for co-pays, they're paying more for everything and they're frustrated. They come back to one of the few people that they can actually look in the eye and talk to. (laughs) <laughs> because you sure can't get the PBMs on the phone, and good luck with your insurance company too. You know they can talk to Mel in the pharmacy, but they come back to us and they say, "What else can I do?" Because I'm not going to afford this $300 here, and I want to make sure that my my daughter gets treated. So um, then now we're taking more time because of all of the uh, all of the people that are in the exam room obstructing what we think is the best thing for our patient.
2: You know, I think of pinball, the game of pinball. And I'll never forget, my grandfather introduced me to that when I was very young. And there was even a a stool that I had to stand on to play the pinball machine um, at the VFW that he would actually uh, bring me to during family nights and during times. And that's all I wanted to do was go play that, that game. And there was a a light up to the left-hand corner of that machine that said T-I-L-T, tilt. And what tilt meant was if a player was playing and they were to bump the ball, the, the gravity of that ball into a different hole or a different place, you were basically tilting the system. You were cheating the system. And therefore the pinball machine, if you did it too many times, it would turn your game off and you'd have to reset that machine. I am a capitalist, I believe in a free market, but I do not believe in the tilting of this healthcare system in the advantage of the PBMs. And Mel, that's exactly what's happening. And I want you to expand upon how you think regulating PBMs would impact medicine, healthcare, and the world of the free markets.
3: Well, regulating the PBMs is our first step. I mean, we need transparency. Cause right now everything is hidden. Nobody knows exactly what a drug costs anymore. Uh, what the PBM is actually paying. I mean, we're seeing that our pharmacists are being reimbursed below their acquisition costs on a daily basis. Uh, while the PBMs, you know, are the three top PBMs are, uh, in the top 25 of the fortune 500 companies in in the United States. We have, you know, we continuously talk to our legislators and try to explain to them exactly what's going on. And it's, it's very difficult to explain to a legislator exactly what's going on because they, they just know from their insurance program that they go into a pharmacy and they get their drugs at a set price uh, and don't realize in many cases that they're not getting the drug that they doctor prescribed for. Uh, We are getting legislation passed in many, many states throughout the country that's mandating transparency. We're trying to get the PBMs to stop steering their clients, uh, people to specific chain stores that they own, or mail orders facilities that they own, or specialty pharmacies that they own. We have proof within my office that shows that you know, some of my stores are getting paid 10 or $15 for a, a prescription. But if they go to a mail order facility, the patient saves a dollar or two on their co-pays, but they're billing the payer. Instead of 10 or $15, they're paying the payer $75 for the same prescription. So if they are increasing healthcare costs. We are doing everything we can throughout the country to stop some of these deceptive practices of the PBMs and bring healthcare costs down considerably. Just taking something like the rebates. We have seen, you know, from different manufacturers that I deal with, I talk to their government relations people, and they showed me on their profit loss statements that 40 to 45% of their gross profits are eaten up by rebates that they have to give to to the PBMs in order to be included in their formulary. Just think if we could stop that and the, the manufacturers could lower their prices by that 40 or 45% without affecting their net profits. I mean, we would all save billions and billions of dollars on healthcare costs.
0: If I may interject, um, I, I'd love to hear you, Mel, stop calling them rebates and start calling them kickbacks because that's what they are. So, in uh, 2003, pharmacy benefit managers were granted by our United States government at the federal level the right to an exemption from the anti kickback statute. And that's what the rebate is. I, I don't call it a rebate, I call it a kickback. And what this means is that the suits, you know, because keep in mind they're not physicians, they're not scrubs, they're not people trained. These are business people that are making up the formulary, which is the list of drugs that is covered by the insurance company, these PBMs, these suits are allowed to receive money from the manufacturers. And the higher the cost of the drug, the higher the, the percentage of the kickback they can receive. So they're perversely incentivized to choose more expensive drugs that go onto their formulary. And you know, it, of, of course, keep in mind, if you're doing it with a perverse incentive there, there's no way that you are not able to be steered by that perverse incentive of money. So you're not picking what goes on the formulary for a given condition based on what's best for the patient. You're picking it what goes there based on the Almighty dollar, which is part of the problem to begin with. And if you're doing it as a percentage of the cost of the drug, well, then you're you're going to get a more expensive drug that's going to go onto the formulary to begin with. Um, if I could do so by a patient example, could I explain how it works for the
2: patient? Absolutely.
0: Yeah, I love sure. that. So um, I had a girl uh, come in not too long ago for a urinary tract infection, and she had a history of urinary tract infections. And at the last one that she had, which it had been a couple of years, um, the only medication that worked for her was something called macrodantin. It's a really old antibiotic. It, it probably should cost $5 a prescription because it's, it's certainly generic. And so I chose this and write, wrote this um, as a prescription for her, sent the mother to the pharmacy and the mother was not a person of means. And then I got a call an hour later that the mother was going to have to pay you know, close to $300 for this prescription for something that really should cost five or 10. Um, and the, the problem is, is, is that what this patient needed was not available for her. And right there you can see the insurance company slash PBM was perversely incentivized to choose something more expensive to put on the formulary, not necessarily something that worked for every patient. The control of what the patient gets is, is astounding, especially when patients have been paying more for so many, so many years. And if you think about it in the way that like we pay the insurance company, they're tied now to the pharmacy benefit managers. And this woman comes in expecting that she's going to get some coverage, that she's already paid what she thought was a fair price in order that she gets her medications covered, but she can't get the medications covered that she needs. And, you know, it, it, it's a small example, but if you multiply that by the patients that I see with Lyme disease, that can't get the standard of care drug because it's not on the formulary. Doxycycline is not on the formulary for some of these PBMs patients that have ear infections uh, swimmer's ear that can't get the one the medication that works best that's a, an old generic it's not on the formulary what goes on the formulary is what pays who pays to get on the formulary the kickback
2: that's interesting the kickback is an element that i hear discussed very lightly among the policy developers and makers at the state and um and federal levels and it's not being communicated enough at the public level when the public hears high drug prices the first thing they think of is the pharma manufacturer and the trickle down from that is standing at the counter to pick up your medication and being told that you owe 140 150 200 300 dollars whatever it may be and that consumer isn't they don't know about pbms they don't know about formularies they don't know how the system works and they're 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 feeling anger towards the technician or the cashier or the pharmacist that's standing at that counter and it has nothing to do with them as as an organization and the entity of the life cycle of all this and i feel that it has become such a monster based on the lobbyists that are there protecting the PBMs, the three major PBMs represent 78% of 100% of our uh, drug distribution and, and prescription distribution throughout the country. 78% are going through one of those three PBMs who have not changed their business models. They're still using that same, to, to use your your word and your terminology, which is absolutely correct, Dr. Mass. It's, it's the kickbacks. And so- We have to educate the public to understanding where the issue is so that they can put pressure on their legislators so that the legislators know that the consumers are now educated. It's very interesting that education is so much more important than I have ever realized. When you used to say education to me back when I was in my 20s, I thought of literally, you know, the school systems and what's being taught to our children, but Today, I'm thinking that education is so much broader and it has to come from sources of trust. And one of those sources of a trust is, are, are our pharmacists. And I've never sat down with a pharmacist, whether they worked for the big chains, independent, you know, consultancy pharmacists. Never once have I talked to a pharmacist who said they thought the payment system was in favor of the outcome that they thought the payment system was in favor of the patient. They no no one has ever said that to me. And that's that would be like talking to a carpenter about the outcome of a home and the carpenter saying this system is not allowing us to build the best homes for the dollars being spent. It's being manipulated so that the manufacturer of the supplies or of the home itself it's in the favor of that entity. It has nothing to do with the consumer. And and that that's the truth of the matter, Mel. What other industry can you think of that is that is held hostage, like the pharmacy industry is held hostage to the PBMs?
3: There is no other industry like that. Everything that we do all day has to do with whether or not a PBM will allow it. When I first started, you know, I'm a little bit older than Marion. <laughs> when I first opened my store, I in 1969. There were no computers. There were no PBMs. There were, there were no TPAs or anything like that. You know, a patient came in and I filled their prescription and we set a fair price. And, you know, the average prescription back then was about 5 to $10. And here we are 50 years later. I mean, co-pays are $100, 200 $300. I mean, it has gotten so out of hand. And the control of the pharmacy industry is is definitely not in the hands of independent pharmacists. We have to abide by these 100-page contracts that we have to sign with them. And, you know, they get to the point now where they say they can drop a store with cause or without cause. I mean, that is completely ridiculous. And that is some of the things that we're working on to try and change legislation. I mean, when you have a company like CVS Health that owns Aetna and owns, a, you know, 10,000, you know, pharmacies, you know, where do you think they're going to send their people to? They send them to their, their, their CVS pharmacy or their mail order or their specialty pharmacy. They're all owned by CVS Health. And, you know, these, uh, they are just, you know, supposedly working for, you know, their clients. It's, you know, M&M industry that has no idea how they're getting ripped off because the information that the PBMs send them on a monthly basis with their bill doesn't give them enough information to audit what's going on. And that's what we're also trying to educate some of the payers as to what's going on and how they could save money. There are transparent PBMs out there, but they are far and few between.
2: So... All of us are fellow Pennsylvanians and this you know podcast and this network goes out on a national level, but Pennsylvania is, is our home state and we have two senators that represent us. Uh, Senator Bob Casey and Pat Toomey uh, sit on the Senate Finance Committee, um, has a lot of jurisdiction over health programs like Medicare and Medicaid. And Senator Casey uh, also sits on the Senate Committee on Health, Education, Labor, and Pensions, in which she is ranking member of the subcommittee on children and families. And I'm wondering, Dr. Mass, what you think they can do specifically to help patients and help educate, um, you know, fellow Pennsylvanians?
0: Yeah. Well, so first of all, like right now, we're looking at the reconciliation process and there's the drug pricing pricing plan that was uh, that has been put forth in in that bill and the drug pricing plan is doing nothing for pharmacy benefit managers it's really astounding to me like we're we're talking about an organizations that make more money than the pharma companies themselves mm-hmm. and no one's doing anything about pharmacy benefit managers we referred to the fact that the government gave these pharmacy benefit managers legalized kickbacks. We've talked about the fact that these pharmacy benefit managers themselves have consolidated into big behemoth monopolies. And you know, Mel has referred to the fact that uh, you know, he as a pharmacist doesn't have much of a, a choice in what he gets paid. He's given ever more restrictive contracts as an independent business person, the little guy, right? Yeah. The little guy has no protection from the government. Our, our country was built on many, many small businesses, but in the healthcare sector, what we have is big behemoth PBMs that have consolidated with big behemoth insurance companies that are getting paid off by big behemoth pharma, uh, sorry, uh, pharma companies in order to get their medications to be the ones in the formulary so they can have an exclusive contract. And all of those groups are making money and the government turns a blind eye and not only turns a blind eye, but hires the very companies that are doing this. So here we are in Pennsylvania. If you look to our neighboring state in Ohio, we haven't even discussed something called the spread yet, but here's what the spread is. Most state governments hire the large pharmacy benefit managers, CVS, Caremark, Express Scripps, or um, Optum to manage their Medicaid prescription drug plans. And in multiple states, Ohio, Arkansas, Florida, um, I believe Oklahoma, and Mel, you can name the other states. What we've discovered is that these companies get the money from the insurer that the insurer gets from Medicaid to give the money to the pharmacists to cover the cost of the drugs and Medicaid, but they're functionally robbing Medicaid. In Ohio, uh, the PBMs got caught $224 million per year, Ohio alone, for keeping what they call the spread. I don't know why they give them all these names. I don't know like why don't they just call it like thievery, you know, or kickbacks, <laughs> like I say. But like, so our, our government at the state and the national level, they're they're hiring these people. I mean, in Pennsylvania, it's not a, a PBM specific um, example, but two days ago, I believe there was an article that came out that talked about how Aetna, who's owned by CVS, Etna, falsified its networks. They were lying about having network adequacy in, in patients in um, pediatric centers. They lied and made up providers that were not even pediatricians that said we're covering their pediatric patients just so that they could get the contract to renew through Medicaid. So, you know, people like they'll state that, you know, well, the government should really just take over. The government is part of the problem, people. So the company that that owns the PBM, that also owns Aetna is flat out lying to the state in order that they get the business There's a whistleblower lawsuit on this right now. What happens will remain to be seen. But for the love of God, open up the books and look where not your money is going, government, because it never was your money. It's our taxpayer dollars and patients are getting hurt.
3: We've seen this all over the country. West Virginia, they discovered that they lost $54 million in excess uh, payments to the PBMs. They've Moved everything over to a fee-for-service plan. Uh New York found $300 million a year that they were overpaying. Legislation was passed, and the governor decided to wait two years for the, to do anything about it. So politics is a funny thing. You know, I, I deal with politicians just about every day, and I know they mean well, but they're not completely educated on our problems here, and— <clears throat> It seems as though the PBMs with their 3,000 lobbyists throughout the country, I know they we were fighting for a couple of things. And our lobbyists that they are in competition with 300 lobbyists that were running around Harrisburg, giving a story, you know, how wonderful they are and how they save everybody money. While three, three of our lobbyists were in there showing them specific facts of how they were being ripped off. But it's it's politics is a funny thing, and I still, after all these years, don't understand why somebody votes the way they vote. So we're still fighting it. We'll continue fighting it. And as more and more people see this PBM problem, sooner or later something will be done. But our, I know my stories in Philadelphia area, you know, Southeastern Pennsylvania, you know, they're hurting right now. And uh with COVID and everything else, uh, you know, we've lost about 125 stores in the last uh, 18 months. And, wow. you know, they're they're hurting.
0: Mel, uh, are those and, stores being bought up?
3: Yeah, many of them are being bought up by the uh, chains. I mean, CVS will, will lower our reimbursements and then the following week, they'll send a letter to the stores saying, we realize how difficult things are nowadays, but we're, we're here to help you by buying your store. And they're the ones that are causing the problem and putting us out of business. And then they offer us a you know, minimal amount to buy our.
0: So then CVS, who is, owns Aetna, then can steer patients to right. their stores and can steer patients to their other businesses. Um, should we talk about the specialty pharmacy? Because I think that's actually fascinating.
3: Well, it's the same thing as the mail order. I mean, they're, you know, my stores, you know, want to do the special pharmacy stuff, but the CDS or Edna will say no; they have to go to the specific uh, facility. But if you can add to that, go ahead, doctor.
0: Well, I, I came across a fascinating story in the news about six months ago. It was an NBC story about um, specialty pharmacy. So a specialty pharmacy is a pharmacy that mails out drug products that have to be kept under certain conditions so that they work for the patient. And in the story, it revealed that Express Scripts, one of the big three PBMs who has their own mail order, um, and of course, Express Scripts is now owned by Cigna, the big insurance company. So Cigna can steer its patients to Express Scripts for its pharmacy benefits, and then can you know, pretty much mandated that they have to use them for their mail order. So if you were a patient that has to take a temperature controlled drug, like a chemotherapeutic, um, like an enzyme, uh, like insulin, you know, if you have to take something that needs to be temperature controlled and you're going to get it by mail order, which is nice and convenient, you may have to choose the large PBM specialty pharmacy that belongs to the insurance company that owns the PBM. So CVS, CVS Caremark, Optum, United, Express Script, Cigna. So the story, like to make it human, there was a little girl who had cystic fibrosis. Um, Cystic fibrosis, as we all know, affects your lungs, but it also affects your ability to uh, um, absorb the food that you eat. So patients with cystic fibrosis can start losing weight and uh, becoming more frail, Unless the, they take enzymes that help them absorb and replace the enzymes they're missing, so there was a little girl who had Signet Insurance and she was forced into using Express Scripts by mail order, and the mother noticed that she was losing weight. So she was having you know copious amounts of diarrhea, and then she started noticing that the packages that were coming delivered by Express Scripts Specialty Pharmacy were not temperature controlled. So. She doesn't really have any power here other than to go back to Express Scripts and to say to them, hey, th- these drugs don't seem to be working anymore, which they weren't. And Express Scripts' answer to this woman who has no control is, ma'am, you're not a pharmacist. We don't think you can make this call. <laughs> you know what? When, when you have the power, unfortunately, you can choose to act in a trustworthy manner or a non-trustworthy manner. And they don't seem to be acting in a trustworthy manner. And I I guess, like for companies that are helping themselves to the spread and robbing Medicaid and using a monopoly position and monopoly power to prevent a young girl with a chronic disease from getting what they need, why are we trusting these companies ever? They're lying about their networks. They're robbing, they're putting medications on the formulary based on money, they're not providing adequate care and they're doing it because they can get away with it. When do we blow the whistle? When do we as as patients, I I guess, step up to the plate and become our own lobby force and start complaining? Because truthfully, they may get all the money that they want from those large companies in state capitals and in Washington DC, but ultimately votes are more important than the campaign cash that is flowing in from all sectors
3: yeah I'm involved in a uh, a nationwide lawsuit against Optum uh, we've been doing this now for five years uh we have over 1200 stories that are involved in this law case against optum for their deceptive practices and everything else that's going on and uh, you know we've been looking for a whistleblower years that worked for optum or united Health uh, but they are so departmentalized that nobody that we can talk to knows any you know what really is happening within the PBM industry. They are very smart; they know what they're doing. Uh, but we're, we're at the point now. I think in January or February we will be in federal court uh, suing Optum for as much as we can.
2: I think that the lawsuits that have been won. Um, when I think of, uh, the Rutledge, uh, uh, you know, victory in, in Arkansas, that that's the very beginnings of the, the cracks in the armor of these organizations and the business models. However, they will do everything in their power because of that money that's, that's coming in and the profits that, that they're experiencing. And I don't have any problem with profiting i just have problems when people aren't able to take their medications or they take half a tablet because they can't afford their medication when we have uh, medicaid paying for these programs and that medicaid tax dollar money is going back to um, the profits of these three big enormous PBMs, so that that's where the problem lies it's not in it's not in profit in general. I, I think that's great that they can make a profit, but certainly not at the level that they are. And under the guise of health care, under the guise, under the disguise, that it is something that it is not based on Dr. Marion Mass, your comment about kickbacks. We need to call things what they are. And we need to just tell the truth about spread pricing and rebates and how this affects patient care and steering from one community pharmacy now to a mail service or mail order pharmacy where they're being uh, stripped of that relationship with their pharmacist that they trust and they ask questions to and now it's the mail person that delivers the med and that's it and now they're delivering it in the wrong manner as you've um, attested uh, dr mass that it wasn't temperature controlled and it wasn't where it should have been i think it's amazing that the specialty pharmacy phrase has been manipulated to protect the profits of the PBM rather than saying yes this medication is um you know it takes higher amounts of hand holding or 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 takes a higher level of understanding it it trending as a as an ongoing medication in comparison to um a an antibiotic biotic or something in the hands of a pharmacist who's trained on that specific disease state, the extra cost of that medication to ensure that their experience is also being compensated for makes absolute sense to me, but not in the model, in the way that Express Scripts has done it with pushing it to their own organizations and their own chosen pharmacies and their own mail order pharmacies. It, it doesn't make any sense. It needs to be, we have to keep the care in healthcare, care and that means a human touch and that's why pharmacists you know went to school for what they went to school for and what they know and the uh, levels of information that they know this is more than just pulling the lever and it's not mass it should not it should never become um, um you know a, a mass production environment we need to keep the pharmacist as that practitioner of being able to look and talk to and 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 counsel their patient based on their medications the medication management and medication allergies and everything else that's going on and we know uh with rural america especially with pharmacy deserts out there that these community pharmacies are the only healthcare service provider that that these people that these people have these communities have and mel they're they're being driven out of existence
3: When you take a drug like for hepatitis B, where you it's, the directions are one tablet daily for eighty four days, and my stores can't dispense that because it's considered a specialty drug. There's no lab tests that are required, there's nothing required but it's an eighty four thousand dollar drug, and the from what I saw, the kickback is about forty seven thousand dollars to the pBMs jeez so That's why we can't, you know, fill a a prescription for 84 pills that require no, you know, nothing, nothing special. Why is it a specialty drug? There is absolutely no definition of what a specialty drug is.
0: It's interesting. I think people should also start paying attention to, like, I think we've painted the picture how nefarious the pharmacy benefit managers can be. And I think it really behooves the public to pay attention to. Who's backing them up? So, I had written an article, oh, I think a month, a month and a half ago, about the um, association, the AARP, you know, the premier association that, the, for retired persons. And I revealed in the article what I think most Americans should know that the AARP gets more money from its contract selling United Healthcare Medicare Advantage plans than it gets from its membership dues. So they don't really need their members anymore. They may have a bunch of them, you know, at 16 bucks a, a year, a pop. But the, the AARP advocated against PBM reform and they've done so again and again against the wishes of their members. I mean, they're supposed to be a nonprofit membership organization, but they're pulling in a huge haul from their selling of United Healthcare Medicare Advantage plans. So they come out full force against any PBM reform. And you'll see them do it again and again and again. And it's for the money. And then you look at the top brass at the AARP and you discover they're making millions themselves. And so like, where does it end? And I I think like it's an important question, who do you trust? And when something that's a big nonprofit becomes so profitable for the people who are at the top making the decisions and who are standing against the wishes of their members and the best interests of their members, then you better start paying attention. And maybe people should start paying attention to people that defend these large pharmacy benefit managers because there are independent pass-through PBMs. that are transparent. But the big guys that are trying to hide their money-making abilities, anyone who's defending them, you should be questioning those groups as well. And I obviously caused a stir because um, one of the vice presidents from Washington, D.C., wrote a letter to the editor that got published in about 14 Pennsylvania newspapers that questioned me as perhaps taking money from big pharma instead (laughs) of like answering the charges that were very real and um, linked in the paper, you know, with resources. So they couldn't answer the charges. Instead, they just wanted to throw shade on me. And I'll tell everyone on this podcast, you can look me up. Because there is a Sunshine database for physicians and what they take from pharma, and I think I went to lunch in 2016, and uh, they got me for 34 dollars. But you know, that's that's actually something really like helpful that you can look up your physician and discover if they have taken money from pharma. But there's no database anywhere where you can look up what what other people in the chain, you know, the pharmaceutical companies. Think tanks that write articles in the newspaper, the AARP, the insurance companies, and a whole cadre of like large institutions. What are they taking from the PBMs? Where's the transparency there?
2: Absolutely. Well, uh, Mel and Dr. Mass, I've really enjoyed this conversation with you. This is a lot of value that you're presenting to us, to our pharmacy owners. To pharmacists that are out there, but most importantly, any consumer, any farm, any patient, anyone in the community that's listening to this presentation, this podcast right now, if you have questions, you are more than welcome to reach out to our publication, and we will get you in touch with the pharmacists that literally care for um, you know hundreds, if not thousands, of patients a day, in organizations that Mel runs, so that you can get additional information, but. We'll have links into um, our our LinkedIn so that you can connect with uh, with Mel and Dr. Mass. But I wanna say thank you to to Mel and, and you, Dr. Marion Mass, for your for your insights and your time today. It's my pleasure. It's my pleasure. Thank you for the opportunity.
1: PBM reform is not a textbook process. This component of healthcare insurance will take time to figure out and will consist of many different players of the pharmaceutical supply chain. If you'd like to contribute information, data, or your own insights on PBM reform, please contact the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Send your email to publisher at pharmacypodcast.com or call us at 412-585-4001.